Now, as I was thinking about uh, what, to, what we would study this week and next, because I have, I have the sermon both before and after Thanksgiving, I decided to take a short break from our Jeremiah study to focus together on the theme of Thanksgiving. Now, if you have been around RBC for long, you know that we don't do a lot of sermons about holidays or connected to holidays other than Christmas and Easter. Those are kind of like the, the big ones. But since I'm preaching both of these Sundays, I thought this would be a really good time for us to think about what the scriptures have to say about giving thanks. And so what I want to do for this week is I want to look at several texts about thankfulness, but I want to look especially at how giving thanks in the Bible is so often connected to food. Okay? And then next week, my plan is to have us look at one particular text, one of my favorite psalms, Psalm 107, which you might be familiar with the phrase, let the redeemed of the Lord say so. And I want to, I want to look through that psalm, which is a psalm calling for giving thanks and see what it has to say. But, but for this morning, I want to start with two simple ideas about thankfulness in the New Testament, and then we're going to go back and look at some things about food. <clears throat> so first thing, you could look over in 1 Thessalonians. So a letter from Paul to the church in Thess- Thessalonica, 1 Thessalonians. And in this short letter, Paul talks about giving thanks several times, but the most important thing he says about thankfulness comes at the end of the letter in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. Okay, it, maybe you've seen this section before. It's, it's this long section of really short commands. So if you like want to memorize a lot of verses at one time, this is a good place to go, right? So 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, look at verses 16 to 18. Paul says, Rejoice always. Pray without ceasing. Give thanks in all circumstances. For this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. Now, there are other texts in the New Testament that say similar things, but none quite so clearly as this one. What is God's will for your life as a person who belongs to Jesus Christ? It is that we give thanks in all circumstances. And now, in, in other words, even though in our culture there is one day specifically designated as Thanksgiving Day, right? God's call on all who belong to Christ is to give thanks every day in, in all circumstances. This is God's will for all those who identify with Jesus. Okay? One other text that runs in a very similar direction. I'll just read for you. This is from Colossians chapter 3, verse 17. Paul says, And whatever you do, in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Okay, and so in both of those texts, we hear God's call to us to give thanks in all circumstances. Whatever we do or say, we're to do it for Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through, through him. Okay, if we wanted to summarize that, we could say that in the New Testament, a pattern of thankfulness is one of the signs that you belong to Jesus. Okay? Now, those are just two examples of that. 
But I also want to point out one text that kind of looks at the other side of that. It says that a lack of thankfulness is something that marks out those who don't know Jesus yet. Okay. And, and again, there's lots of texts. I'm just trying to point out a couple to get us thinking about this. Okay? But the one text I'll point to is Romans chapter 1, verse 21. Okay, so, so in that text, <clears throat> Paul is highlighting what he views as the most basic sins of human beings, like the sins that lead to all the other sins. And this is Romans 1, verse 21. He says, for although they, like human beings, knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him. Now, the most basic sin of human beings is that we fail to honor God as God. It's the sin we've been looking at together, the last couple sermons in Jeremiah, is the sin of idolatry. But did you notice that Paul puts something right next to that as like characteristic of the most basic things that people fail to do? We fail to honor God, and we fail to give thanks to God. That is the sin of ingratitude. And I think as you look at the New Testament, you could say that a pattern of ingratitude is one of the signs that a person hasn't really grasped God's kindness to us in Jesus. Now, a lot more could be said about all those things, but my, my goal today is to focus in specifically on one aspect of thankfulness, and that is the connection between thankfulness and food. Okay? Now, it is interesting to me that in our culture, <clears throat> this same connection between thanksgiving and food is really prominent. Right? I mean, there is certainly no other holiday in the U.S. that is so connected to food as the one we celebrate this week. And what do we call it? We call it Thanksgiving. Okay? And this has been the case for a long, long time. It is Thanksgiving has been a time, above all others, to feast with family, friends, neighbors, with gratitude in our hearts. But what I want to see today is that the connection between food and thankfulness reaches back before the United States of America. Okay? That is sourced in the Bible, the connection between food and thankfulness. So first of all, I just want to talk a little bit about food in the Bible. Okay, so think with me. Where is food first talked about in the Bible? Have you ever thought how much food is talked about in the Bible? Okay, food is all over the pages of the Bible, from beginning to end. Uh, I mean, I have a friend, actually, uh, that I saw this last week. I was at a, at a conference. He wrote a book about food in the book of Isaiah, okay? A whole book about food in one book of the Bible. There's food all over the place, but where does it start? Okay, food is in the first pages of the Bible, because I want to look at a little bit of this. Look at Genesis chapter 1, first chapter. First three chapters, you got food in all of them. They will look at some of this. Genesis chapter 1. <clears throat> this is what God says just after creating human beings on the sixth day of creation. Look at Genesis chapter 1, verse 29. So God has just created human beings and like kind of commissioned them about what they're supposed to do. And Genesis 1, 29, God said, Behold, 
I have given you every plant yielding seed that is on the face of all the earth and every tree with seed in its fruit. You shall have them for food. So notice, one of the very first things God does for human beings who are the crowning jewel of everything he makes is God provides abundant food for them. And while we're in this area of the Bible, look down in just a few verses to Genesis chapter 2, verse 9. So Genesis 2, 9. And out of the ground the Lord God made to spring up every tree that is pleasant to the sight and good for food. And then it highlights two trees. The tree of life was in the midst of the garden and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. But you can see that God richly provided food for his people, food that looked good, tasted good, and was good. And then you get this mention of the two trees that become very prominent in the story that follows. By the third chapter, for example, the first woman, Eve, sees the one tree that was forbidden by God, and she saw that it, it looked good for food too. And so she rebelled against God's command and let Adam do the same. Now, there are many, many more references to food in Genesis and then as you go through the Old Testament. Uh, in Exodus, for example, God rains bread from heaven day by day for like 40 years to sustain the life of his people Israel in the wilderness. But also, he does it that way to teach them to trust him, to provide food for them day by day. Okay, but what I want to do at this point is just step back and think about food for a little bit. Okay? It is quite obvious when you think about it that God created human beings in a very specific way. And when it comes to food, God created us to need food every day, to need it very, very regularly. Now, I don't know about you. I have a hard time skipping even one meal, okay? Even within the next hour or two, I imagine that just about everyone in here will be feeling their longing and maybe need for food. Have you ever thought about this? Why did God make us this way? For example, we're made in the image of God, but God does not need food. And as far as I can tell, angels don't need food either, at least not in any sense like we do. But yet God creates human beings and then within just a couple verses, we see God immediately providing food for his people. And that provision of food will need to continue day after day, year after year, century after century. There has never been a time when human beings have not needed food. This is one of the most basic human experiences. It's something God has woven into creation that all animals and all human beings need food. Why did God do that? I think we can say at least two things about this when you think about the Bible and even our own experience of it. Okay? First, our need for food reminds us of our limitations. I think this is similar to our need for sleep. 
God has hardwired this into creation. This message, you are not strong enough. Look at how much you struggle with skipping one meal or not having food for one day. You are not as strong as you think you are. We are constantly being told that through this part of what God's done in creation. And second, our need for food reminds us that we always need God to provide food for us. Now, here's where I think the Bible is super clear about that. But I think our own experience with food in the United States actually makes it harder for most of us to remember this. I don't think we hear this very well because of our culture that we live in today. <clears throat> now, I'm saying most of us probably struggle with this because I, I know that there may be some of us who have struggled seriously with not having food or maybe even are struggling right now with a lack of food. That is certainly possible. And by the way, on that, if that was ever the case in your life, okay, we are here as a church to help take care of everyone. This is one of the reasons, one of the many reasons God has created the church. If there was ever a time when you lacked food, the church is here to take care of you. But I would imagine that most of us right now, as we look to the next week, are not in serious doubt about whether we will have food this afternoon or tomorrow or on Thursday. Okay, now I want to I think about this. Okay, so the, so the kids that could help us out here with this, okay? So kids, Peyton, Layla, anyone else that's in here who's young, okay? Where does food come from? Any kids have any answers to this? Where does food, food come from? Where does it come from? God. That is a great answer, okay? So, now, I didn't prep her for that, okay, because I thought there might be another answer, and maybe some of you would think what a kid's answer could be. Where does food come from? The grocery store, right? Target, okay? Okay. Now, so I think even for those of us who've lived a little longer, we can tend to think this way. Okay, after all, if I want food, what is the only thing I need to do? I just need to walk down the street a few blocks, find a grocery store, and then I will have more food and more varieties of the same food available to me than people have had at any time in human history. This dulls our sense that of what the idea of food in the Bible is like communicating to us. We need God to give us food. And I think we struggle to see that because we can tend to think, you know, food just comes from the grocery store. But from the perspective of the Bible, from Genesis 1 all the way through to the end, there's this constant message that God alone is the source of food, which we need to even live. Okay? That's why food becomes such an important theme in the songs of the Old Testament. Let me just give you a taste of that from the book of Psalms. Okay? So go back first to the psalm that I read earlier today. It was a long psalm, but did you notice any themes in that psalm? I'll just read a couple verses from it. This is from Psalm 104, 
And we'll just read two verses. Psalm 104, verses 14 and 15. So in this song that the people of God would sing, it says, You cause the grass to grow for the livestock and plants for man to cultivate, that he may bring forth food from the earth, and wine to gladden the heart of man, oil to make his face shine, and bread to strengthen man's heart. To strengthen man's heart. Second, look down to Psalm 136. 136. Okay? This is a psalm where you can learn half the psalm in six seconds. Because the second half always says, for his steadfast love endures forever. Okay. So look at how Psalm 136 ends. The last thing in the psalm. Psalm 136, verses 25 and 26. He who gives food to all flesh for his steadfast love endures forever. Give thanks to the God of heaven for his steadfast love endures forever. And then for just one more example from the Psalms. <clears throat> Again, we're looking at just glimpses of this. Psalm 145. It's a little bit later. Psalm 145. And we'll look at verses 14 to 16. The Lord upholds all who fall and lifts up all who are bowed down. The eyes of all look to you and you give them their food at the proper time. You open your hand and satisfy the desires of every living thing. That is the perspective of the Bible on food, especially the Old Testament. <clears throat> God is the giver of food. And his constant provision of food is a constant reminder that he loves us. God keeps giving food day by day because his steadfast love endures forever. When we have food on our tables, it is like, in the Psalms, it is like God is opening his hand and putting it there to satisfy our desires and to remind us that we need him and that he still loves us. And this is why in the Psalms and then throughout the New Testament, food is so often connected to what? To thankfulness. God gives food to us, and what do we give back to God? Thanks. We give God thanks day after day. Now, to see this in the New Testament, I've selected just a couple texts for us to think about. The first two are from two great stories, one from Jesus' life and one from Paul's life. <clears throat> the story from Jesus' life comes from just before the text that Terry read from John 6. So it's earlier in John chapter 6. It's the story of the feeding of the 5,000. I don't want to focus so much on the, on the story, but, I, but it's something that happens at the beginning of the story. So all, this story is actually told in all four of the Gospels. It's one of the only, there aren't a whole lot of stories like that. They're told in all four. This one is told in all four, but John emphasizes this the most of the four writers. So this is John chapter 6, verse 11. John chapter 6, verse 11. So again, right before the text that Terry read. John 6, 11. Jesus then took the loaves, and when he had given thanks, 
he distributed them to those who were seated, so also the fish as much as they wanted. Now, if you read this whole account, the miracle itself is the focus of the story. But did you see what Jesus did? He takes the food, gives thanks to the Father for the food. Then he breaks it up and gives it to the people to eat it. Now, I want to skip down just a few verses in that story to what happens on the next day after that miracle where he fed all these people. Look at John chapter 6, verse 23. Just this kind of a random verse. It says, other boats, this is 623, other boats from Tiberias came near the place where they had eaten the bread after the Lord had given thanks. You see the name of the place? Like, they came near the place where they had eaten the bread after the Lord had given thanks. It's a very interesting way to describe a place. Not just a place where they ate the bread. It's a place where they ate the bread after the Lord had given thanks for the bread. So John is emphasizing something there of how thankfulness and the bread go hand in hand in that story. Okay? Now, let's look at another story, and this is from Paul's life. This is a story of when Paul was on his way to Rome as a prisoner, and he was on a boat as a prisoner. Okay, this is from the end of the book of Acts. So you could go over to Acts chapter 27. <clears throat> this is a great story if you want to read it sometime. But again, I'm just going to focus in on one little thing in this story. Acts chapter 27. Paul's on his way to Rome in a boat as a prisoner. There are 275 other men on the boat. Okay. What happens is that for a long... What happens is they end up getting shipwrecked. So they're like floating out in the sea in this boat that's maybe going to go down. And for a long time, for 14 days, they were drifting in the sea and were told in the story that no one ate anything during those 14 days. But we're also told in the story that during those days, God promised Paul that he would keep every man safe. Okay, so now look at what Paul says in Acts chapter 27, verses 34 and 35. It's after Paul gets that message from the Lord. Acts 27, 34. Paul says to them, Therefore I urge you to take some food, for it will give you strength, for not a hair is to perish from the head of any of you. And when he had said these things, he took bread, and giving thanks to God in the presence of all, he broke it and began to eat. Okay. So in front of all these men who are fearing for their lives, Paul takes bread, gives thanks to God in the presence of them all, breaks it, starts to eat, and not surprisingly, right after that, all the men start to eat. Right after him. And God does spare them, just like he said he would. And now, just one more text about this general idea of food and thankfulness. This is from a letter Paul wrote to Timothy. Look at 1 Timothy. 1 Timothy chapter 4. So the other two are stories. Here's something Paul gives by way of instruction. In this text, 1 Timothy chapter 4, Paul is actually confronting some false teachers 
who are trying to force people to stay away from certain kinds of food. Maybe thinking that's going to like make God happier with them. So listen to what Paul says about this. This is 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 3. Paul says, They, the false teachers, forbid marriage and require abstinence from foods that God created to be received with thanksgiving by those who believe and know the truth. For everything created by God is good, and nothing is to be rejected if it is received with thanksgiving, for it is made holy by the word of God in prayer. Now, like with the other stories, there's a lot more that could be said about it. But I just wanted to highlight the connection between thankfulness and food. God created food to be received by us with thankfulness. God gives food to us, and what do we give back to God? We give thanks to God day after day. Now, for the last part of this sermon, I want to point out that there is one meal above all others in the New Testament that is a time for thankfulness. And, of course, in the New Testament, it is not Thanksgiving Day. Now, I like Thanksgiving Day. I'm pretty sure that none of the writers of the New Testament would have had a problem was setting aside a day for thankfulness. This is a good thing, okay? But in the New Testament, what is the one meal that is most connected with thankfulness? I, I pointed out some texts where I think actually there's a pattern of connecting every meal to thankfulness. But in the New Testament, there's one meal above all others that is connected to thankfulness. You can turn to these texts if you want, or you can just listen to them. Because I imagine most of us are familiar with the wording already, especially if you've been at RBC for some time. Okay, first, I'm going to read something from the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 26. This is the story of what Jesus did with his disciples the night before he died. Matthew, chapter 26, verse 26. Jesus, it says, now as they were eating, Jesus took bread, and after blessing it, he broke it and gave it to the disciples and said, Take, eat, this is my body. And he took a cup, and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them, saying, Drink of it, all of you, for this is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. And the other text is the one we read almost every Sunday, where Paul challenges the church to reenact that event regularly. This is from 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 23. Paul says, For I received from the Lord what I also handed down to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the night when he was betrayed, took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is given for you. Of all the food that we are to be thankful for in the Bible. The food we ought to be most thankful for is the bread and the cup from the Lord's table. But here's where we have to remember that the bread and the cup, as important as they are, are symbols pointing us 
to what we need even more. The bread and the cup point us week by week to Jesus, the bread of life, the fountain of living waters, whose body was given for us, whose blood was shed for our sins. <clears throat> I think this is part of what our need for food teaches us. In general, we need God. And then we come to the table and we are reminded week after week that we need Jesus. Now, as we wrap things up, I want to just start with a quick recap okay, of what we looked at. Because we looked at a lot of different things. The first thing was just that a pattern of thankfulness is one of the clearest signs somebody belongs to Jesus. And a lack of that is a bad sign. It's a sign that a person doesn't yet belong to Jesus, or at the very least, that a person's failing to grasp the goodness and kindness of God to us in Jesus. Then we started to talk about food. So God, in the Bible, God is the giver of all food, and his constant provision of it for us is a constant reminder to us that he loves us. When we have food on our tables, it is like God is opening his hand and putting it there on the table for us to satisfy our needs and remind us that we need him and that he still loves us today. And then we looked at the New Testament and how it connects thankfulness to food, just like the Old Testament does. And so on the one hand, every meal is an occasion for thanksgiving, but of all the meals we share in, the greatest time for thanksgiving is when we come to this table. In fact, thankfulness has been so connected to the Lord's table throughout the history of the church that the table has actually often been called thanksgiving. Now, you might not recognize that because we don't call it the English word, thanksgiving, okay? But if you've ever heard the word Eucharist, okay, which, by the way, is a fine word, okay, even though it's most often associated with Roman Catholicism, the word Eucharist comes straight from the New Testament word Eucharistia, which is the word in a lot of these texts, thanksgiving. Okay? That's all it is. Okay? This table has often been identified as thanksgiving because it's so core to what we do when we come to the table. The table above all other places is a place for thanksgiving. So that's a recap, but what should we take away from some just reflecting today on food, thankfulness? Here are three things I think you could walk away with today, but I hope you think of more. Okay, the first thing, I, wanted, I did this because I wanted to help us think about this week in particular, Thanksgiving. I would encourage us to not celebrate Thanksgiving as people do who don't fear God and don't know that God is the giver of all good things. I love the holiday, but you're going to have all kinds of people celebrating the holiday who don't fear God and they don't recognize that what we have been given is from God. Let's eat and drink and celebrate with gratitude specifically to God. 
for what he has provided. And second, this would be more of a daily thing. Whenever we have food on our tables, remember it did not just appear. It did not come from the grocery store. God is the one who supplies our food. To use the words of Jesus, God gives us our daily bread. So may, may giving thanks for food not become an empty ritual for us. It is one of the things, like sleep, that God has hardwired into creation to communicate something to us every single day that we are not strong enough. We need food, and God gives it to us because he loves us, because his steadfast love endures forever. And then lastly, may the food we eat, whether at an ordinary meal this afternoon or at a Thanksgiving feast on Thursday, may those meals ultimately remind us of an even more important meal, the Lord's Supper, the place where we give thanks, not simply for the bread and the cup, but also for what those symbols are pointing us to, the body and blood of Jesus which is our only hope for not just life tomorrow, but for eternal life. Let's pray and thank the Lord for this. Father, thank you for this great holiday season and really Christmas too. Lord, this is a sweet time of year. And I'm thankful that in our culture, we do set aside a day to give thanks But Lord, I pray that as your people, that would be even more precious to us and that this really would be a pattern of our lives, that we would not be known as people who complain, but as people who give thanks to you so that we may shine as lights in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation. Lord, I pray that even as we come to the table today, Lord, that our hearts would be filled with gratitude for your greatest provision for sending Jesus for us, who laid down his life for us and was raised for our righteousness. May we eat with great gratitude today. We thank you for your steadfast love that endures forever, of which you remind us every Sunday and truly every day. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.